Welcome to Culture at Work, the podcast that explores how to maintain a strong corporate culture in a rapidly changing world. I'm your host, Tim Carroll, inviting you to learn from industry leaders on how to build an exciting culture to bring people back to the office and inspire them like never before. On today's episode, we have Marilyn McSweeney, President and CEO of the McSweeney Group. Marilyn has more than two decades of successful experience in providing top talent in the interior furnishings industry. Marilyn and the team at McSweeney Group have an extensive understanding of what is needed for employers and employees to achieve the mutual fit necessary for long-term success. This is going to be a great conversation. Let's get to it. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, I just, I'm really excited about this topic um, as it relates to culture and what candidates are looking for in the workplace. But I just want to start off um, right at the top and just, you know, how's the business of recruiting and how is it post COVID? How's it changed? And, you know, how, how difficult is your job now as opposed to, you know, as difficult as it was before? Yeah, great question, um, Tim. I mean, if recruiting wasn't difficult, we wouldn't have a job, right? So, <laughs> you know, people call us because it is a challenge, but I don't think it's ever been more of a challenge than it is today. And, you know, part of it is still the the trauma of coming out of the pandemic and how that affected both companies and, and employees. But, um, I think it gave particularly employees time to do a lot of self-evaluation and many have left the industry. Um, many have drawn the line that they'll only work remotely and, you know, employers aren't granting that as much as they were during the pandemic, of course. Um, just a lot of talent has left the industries, industry and candidates are having higher demands. Um, additionally, because of that trauma and, you know, talks about an upcoming recession, candidates are even more gun shy to make a move because of the last in first out rule. <laughs> you know, they're, they're afraid yeah. that if they, um, you know, make this move and then there's another cut that they're going to be on the chopping block first. So it's made our jobs harder than ever, but, um, you know, ultimately we are able to prevail if we have the right value proposition from our client. And, you know, I, honestly, the, the ones that left may be the, the, the most sane ones of all of us, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, do you see, uh, you mentioned something there, uh, uh, about last in first out this perception now that seems very counter to what it was a year ago where, you know, the great resignation and everybody was leaping and jumping. And uh, I feel the media had convinced everybody that looking for something else was the best course of action. But do you see, do you really see a pendulum shift back to uh, candidates wanting to kind of hold what they got? You know, it that has been stronger. I've been doing the recruiting for 70, or excuse me, <laughs> 25 years. And I worked in the industry prior to that. And I, it honestly hasn't been 
uh, more difficult. And I, I think part of that is some of the lead economists in the country are predicting a bit of a recession in 2025. Right. And people are hearing that. So they're afraid to make a move. But you know, right after the pandemic, so many people lost their positions. So they had to look for new jobs. And, you know, they would move for something that looked more secure, particularly companies that held their own well during the pandemic, and they are fast growing. Um, Those are particularly companies that people were looking for in addition to um, culture, um, which is kind of the number one question I'm getting these days. And and we will absolutely be touching on that. But I, I look, I'm fascinated by recruiters in that they it's a sales position, right? But it's an interesting sales position in that I feel, and you can correct me if if you feel I'm wrong, by all means, that it's you're selling the buyer and you're selling the seller. You're yes. having to do double the work in order to get that done. Yes. Yes, I had uh, one of our clients say to me recently, you know, how are you surviving in this pandemic because you have no inventory to sell? And it took me a minute to realize what he was talking about. But, you know, it's just it's a lot of people have left the industry like we discussed. And a lot of the good ones are making so much money that, you know, it's hard to get them to start over again. But again, we we do always prevail. It's just taking us, you know, twice as long as it it did before in most cases. Right. Well, now you you said the word culture, so we're going to dive in. And I ask this question to everybody: what, How do you define culture? Great question. And I, I promise, if you ask ten people that, you're going to somewhat get different answers. No but since we talk about it every day and we ask a lot of probing questions with um, both the hiring companies and the candidates, the way that I would define it is that it's the company's vision and core values. Um, It's the attitudes and behaviors that make up that work environment. Um, It's the experience that people have while they're at work. you know, they're looking for healthy work environments as a category under culture. So, you know, how the space looks and is it paying attention to workplace well-being and, you know, a safe place to work. It just shows that the employers care about their employees and they're willing to invest in them. So when you asked me to do this, I I thought hard and I spoke with my team and the, these seem to be the collective words that I think I would use to define a company culture. You mentioned vision and core values. And I'm very curious, do you find now we're talking specific to the commercial interiors business. Do you find and peripheral businesses that I'm sure you work with? Do you find that most companies in fact do have defined vision and core values and mission, or is that uh, uh, kind of at a premium? Is that some, not many people have that, which, which is it? Yeah. Um, you know, the larger corporations are the ones that of course seem to have a clear mission statement. It's posted in the lobby. Um, 
they talk about their core values in their their meetings and so forth but you're right a lot a lot of companies just haven't clearly defined that it's it, when you open a company's website because you're about to research them as a potential employer one of the first things you need to see is what is the company's mission purpose and core values and if it's not there i would encourage you to spend some time outlining it because it is part of the the culture that a candidate will see and determine whether that fits with their personal goals um you know the smaller companies in particular yeah don't seem to put much uh, time into this yeah and it's a fun exercise it really is i mean at working spaces we've gone through that that process and defined mission and vision and values and and specifically around that values proposition what what do you find is important and that exercise in itself is is engaging and interesting to just tackle with your your team i find and I, I also, as well, Marilyn, find that candidates respond to the fact that we have all of that very defined and upfront on our website. When you go there, I feel like you really get a chance to sense who we are. And so that's why I, I ask, is that kind of normal? Or is, I mean, the big companies, the manufacturers, I feel like they follow in line, but you know, is, is that uh, the, the same across the board for some of, let's just say like the dealers? Yeah, there's uh, particularly some of the smaller or younger dealers. Um, they're the ones that kind of rarely have that clearly defined um, in in their website, their social media, and and within your own company. Because one of the worst things you can do where you're going to lose candidates is portray this mission and and culture and values and then what's happening inside those doors is completely different than what you're portraying um so it's not it's not as common to see this as we would like it to be so what are the two so again speaking of culture what are the two requests what are the two things if you had to pick two uh that candidates are really uh, requesting when they talk to you relative to culture? Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that, that I, I made a list and it's really hard to whittle that down to two, but one of it, uh, one of the things that, um, especially in the last few years is the purpose of the work. If that makes sense, it's, it's the company's why, if you will, um, they want to feel like they're with a company that their efforts matter, um, not just to themselves or to the, the employer, but it it helps the community in some way. It helps the end users feel that uh, the employees that your end users feel that you've invested in in them by having a purpose of work, you know, philanthropic efforts and just like you have a reason to, to be there, I would say is number one that has particularly shifted over the years. Um, and I would say almost the number one when we ask candidates what their must-haves as it relates to company culture, it is the lack of micromanagement 
that that inevitably comes up in every ask. So I would ask employers to do some self-evaluation and poll their team. And if they're getting some feedback that they feel like they're micromanaged versus giving clear expectations, um, you know, it and results, then you you're going to have, well, we're probably not going to take you on as a client, but mm-hmm. you're going to have a really difficult time hiring. So um, no micromanagement and purpose of work um, would be my top two answers. So, you know, I generally ask that question. It's an easy, simple question in an interview. You know, how do you like to be managed? And it's funny, almost exclusively, the first thing they say is, well, I don't like to be micromanaged. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I've never had anybody answer that question with, I love to be micromanaged. (laughs) So I think that is true. I think that's a a big thing. Do you find that purpose? So I I read a statistic once that certain generations, you know, generationally, you know, especially Gen Z and that, that purpose is their big driver. It's not chasing the almighty dollar. It's do they find purpose in what they're working? Do you, in fact, in your, you know, anecdotally, do you find that to be generational as well? I do. Um, definitely. I don't hear much of that talk of purpose of work and work-life balance and self-care and, you know, all of that uh, vocabulary that we're hearing these days. I don't hear that coming out of the baby boomers. Um, it is especially prevalent with millennials. This new generation that's coming in, Gen A, is not as much like that. So I would say, um, and certainly not to disrespect the the millennials in any way, they bring a lot of value and and we need them. Um, but they are the generation that that is asking for these things, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, and you have to look. We're in a an interesting time and you have to kind of answer the bell for every generation. It's a wide range of generations in the workforce today, right? Yes. Um, I, I read an article recently that there are actually five generations in the workplace right now. And I, I initially thought, well, that's not true. And then as you read the article, you can see where they're coming from. But uh you know, for the most part, we've got Gen A millennials and still baby baby boomers in the workforce. Shifting to kind of employers, what are you seeing employers providing their candidates to attract, retain uh, their employees? What are, what are they providing relative to culture? What are they? What are you seeing more and more uh, in in from your clients that they want to? hang out there for people to see and say, this is why you should want to come to our, our company. Mm -hmm. And boy, that could be a podcast all in itself, but I would say what I mentioned previously about your external brand aligning with what's truly happening in, in your office. If there's a real disconnect there, you are most likely not going to be able to retain your employees. Um, Having a commitment to workplace well-being, in fact, I just wrote an article on this that will be coming out in November's publication of Office Insight and Viewpoint about 
having, excuse me, about addressing physical, mental, financial, and social well-being in the workforce. It's not just physical that, that we're talking about. So if you get a chance to read that article, it'll go into more detail there. But, um, you know, your brand aligning, workplace well-being, uh, leadership that leads by example and with empathy and truly investing and in helping them to be the most successful they can be with a lack of self-importance. Um Additional perks that some companies have had to do to attract talent are things like having a gym at the office or, you know, at least a few pieces of exercise equipment, um, having a daycare for their employees, uh, philanthropic engagement, just kind of those unique value proposition ideas that will cause your employees when they get approached for another job, they're not just looking at the money. You know, they're they're like, well, this new company doesn't provide a gym or daycare and that's a huge value to me. So even if it's a little bit more money, you know, I'm going to stay where I am. Um, you know, not only does that literally help you with your time and expenses, but it's just, it's also just that, that feeling that your company cares about you. So do you, do you find, because I'd say 10, 10 to 15 years ago, there was this big push to, you know, Google fi the office. There was, you know, you got to have ping pong tables and putting greens and kegerators and all of that stuff. Today, do you hear anybody asking for those things? I I do actually. I mean, yeah. it it was bigger 15 years ago when some of these high um, these tech companies, you know, the the Googles and Amazons and and so forth, um, you know, were almost going overboard um, with that stuff. I mean, I've heard from people that work there that some of that doesn't get used, you know, so it, it might be just a cost to the company that doesn't translate into a value for someone, but, you know, particularly if they're like those things, what are they looking for? Um, I, I think on their breaks, honestly, that exercise equipment or, um, a walking desk, if you will, um, just so you can save time with your exercise that you would have to do at home. Otherwise, um, gosh, a lot of this just comes down to the culture of feeling respected and, and cared about. So it can, it can just even be things like making sure that your company is very philanthropic and giving back Uh, this, the younger generations, especially want to see that offered in, in the workplace. Um, You know, the daycare obviously is, is huge. And, and most companies I think do charge for that, but at a minimal cost, you know, and with your avail- availability, like on your lunch hour, for example, to stop in and see your child, um, that is a huge perk. Now, not every company is big enough to warrant something like that. Right. But, you know, if you're a half billion dollar dealership and you do have the resources in the space, that would be one thing I would encourage you to to look at. I get everything you're saying. It goes back to purpose and well-being, right? It's yep. like there's a little 
through line happening here in this conversation of purpose and well-being. Okay, we're going to break away for just a quick message, and we'll be right back after this. At Working Spaces, we do much more than just sell furniture. We immerse ourselves in the culture of each and every client and then create spaces that inspire, inspire creativity, inspire productivity, and inspire connectivity. So if you're looking to create an office space that inspires your employees to want to come back to the office, collaborate face-to-face, and do their best work every day, contact Working Spaces. Working Spaces, the innovative leader in office furniture and design since 1999. Now in six markets nationwide. Welcome back to Culture at Work. What role does, we touched on a little bit, but what role does space play uh, in a in a candidate's decision, the actual physical space? What what role does that play um, in, in the decision-making process? In our industry, especially, I would say a lot in capital letters with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of us have come from design backgrounds and and so forth, or, you know, even the salespeople that don't have a design background or the leaders, you've been around a lot of beautiful spaces if you're selling commercial office interiors of, of any variety, and it's really just expected. Um, I have honestly had candidates not take a position because when they went into the office, it was old and chaotic and, you know, there's papers everywhere and still using chairs from the 1960s. Uh, believe it or not, that still exists in some places. And you're going to have a hard time, particularly attracting talent in this industry without having a beautiful, organized, decluttered beautiful workspace. It, it just shows that you're, again, that your employer cares about you. And also you need to have it like that because of um, customer visits. You know, your customers are going to want to come in and touch and feel what they're spending money on. And you, you've just got to have a beautiful workplace. Well, if you can't get your own space, right, how is anybody going to expect you to get someone else's, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's an example of your work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of what so, you can do for them. So let's, let's dive in. You talk about each one of these questions to your point is probably worthy of a, of a podcast all on its own, but exactly. This, yeah. this one definitely is, but um, uh, we'll try to cram it in here uh, today, but work from home versus the office. Mm-hmm. In our industry, I, I'll just say I don't think we as an industry have um, put a premium on this enough, this conversation um, around how important the office is. Because um, quite frankly, if we don't believe in it, why in the world would anybody else? But nonetheless, I've been trying to um, scream that for for uh, many, many months, uh, many years. Um, but what are you seeing? Again, you're in a kind of a very different circle uh, than, than 
than let's just say I'm running in as far as how important is it? What's our thoughts? What's our beliefs? What are you seeing? What are the candidates saying? And it and it may be counter to what I believe, which is absolutely okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But what are you seeing? I'm a very open-ended question. What are you seeing as it relates to your candidates and your employer clients relative to work from home versus the office? Mm-hmm. Boy, I don't know if there's a, another topic that is more hot than this very issue. And, you know, I find people on opposite ends of the spectrum, um, people in the middle, but it's almost always a question that a candidate asks us when we are presenting an opportunity to them. It's more about flexible hours Mm. than, than totally working from home. Um, they just, especially if you're a parent of young children, um, they just, they're willing to work 40 plus hours a week, but a company that trusts them to get their work done on a flexible schedule is, I would say the number one request, um, as far as fully working from home. And we especially find this request with designers more than any other, um, niche in in this industry. And a lot of that is they found during the pandemic that they can get a lot more work done if you cut the commute and you cut the office distractions. Um, but y- you know, you're right. We are in the office furniture industry. So if everybody wants to work from home, you're not going to have a job pretty soon. <laughs> you know, we are selling and and designing commercial office space and you need to be an example of that and and be in the office Um, what i'm finding in general is i would say the vast majority of our clients whether they want to or not is they're providing a hybrid schedule and, and the most common is three days in the office and two days at home now, some, some employees don't take that. They want to be in the office five days a week or four days a week, but they have the option to work from home one or two days a week. That will typically satisfy most people. Um, but gosh, it, it is a hot topic. I, I really wish I could get more people to say they'll be in the office. And, you know, if you're a salesperson, of course, you're not in the office 40 hours a week. But it, for those of you that are willing to do that, you're going to have a lot easier time finding a job, quite honestly. Employers want you in the office, not because of micromanagement, but it's you can't have company culture if you're working from home. Amen. So, you know, you need that human interaction and working collaboratively and, you know, grab somebody and go sit down in the conference room and collaborate. It's just much more likely to happen if you're physically in the workspace. So I am really encouraging candidates to evaluate that and try to mentally be willing and look forward to being in the office a minimum of three days a week and preferably four or five. 
So, and I've said this, I've said it before on this podcast, I'll say it again, because of your role and what you do, and again, see what your thoughts are on this topic, but I I have found that when you, when you, when your presence is no longer necessary in the office, you open up your role to be in competition with the rest of the world. The whole world becomes your competition. They no longer see that role having to sit in that town. Therefore, instead of interviewing for a job with 20 candidates, you're interviewing for a job with 2,000 candidates because everybody's interviewing for it because anybody anywhere can do that job. Have you seen these remote jobs start to increase in number of candidates? That is a great question. Um, I completely agree with you that if you're never in the office, you, you start to become invisible and the company doesn't see your value as much anymore. And they just realize that you're indispensable or that you are dispensable. Um, because you're essentially working remotely and you're probably in the same city as your employer, they realize that they could get somebody even better that lives clear across the country or even in another country, which I'm seeing, particularly South America, South and Central America. You know, they can get less expensive and more qualified talent and it doesn't matter where they sit as long as they can adapt to the time zone. So you really are setting yourself up to be dispensable if you are if you're a ghost, quite honestly. Yeah, and and I I've, again I feel and and I believe that we're heading to a place where um, we're going to see people getting promoted that are in the office and those that are working remotely wondering why they're not getting the opportunity to be promoted, right? And it's it's a simple equation, right? It, the more you're there, the more you get a chance to, let's just say, quote unquote, get it, right? And you're there and you understand the company and you get to have those micro moments throughout the day that really kind of inform who the company is, right? I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, as a company, you know, as a management team sits behind closed doors and determines who they're going to promote and where people fit in the org chart, you're going to be much more top of mind if you're physically present and interacting with these people every day and they can see your energy, your passion, your drive, your kindness you know, I mean, absolutely, uh, those people in the office are going to get looked at first. Um, they are physically there building relationships with the leadership team and with the staff. They are seen as uh, a contributor. So I, I will really warn people that are fully remote if you're looking to grow with your company or even with another company, you have to be seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So final question here. Um, and a, and a, and a good one, big one. 
I think everybody's going to love to hear what you have to say on this, but what advice would you give candidates and employers regarding searching or building culture? You know, I would say that um, open communication, open and honest communication, nothing in any relationship will ever trump that. Uh, just make sure that your your goals and expectations are in alignment and that you understand each other's must-haves. You know, even in the interview, you should try to get clear answers about what the must-haves are for this person to come and fully engage with a company with an expectation of that being for the long haul. Um, so just have those conversations and you know, the old, you know what they say about assumptions. So that's where I often, you know, will speak with a candidate, for example, or a client for that matter. And they're complaining about something in their office that is causing them to either consider terminating that employee or, or if you're on the other side, you know, leaving that. And, and I'll say, have you sat down with leadership and discussed this? And make sure that you're on the same page, that you have some clear direction on how to get to your next goals. And, and inevitably, people say, well, no, I haven't spoken with them. Uh, that's just ludicrous. <laughs> you know, um, you know, even if you're an em employer, if somebody appears to not be working out, communicate and find out why. Are they getting the tools that they need? Understand how they learn and be able to help train them in the way that they learn. I just had a circumstance of this a couple of months ago. A company was going to let a designer go. And I, I said, have you asked her what she needs? It, it might be a real simple fix. And, you know, maybe partner with someone else on the team who's successful in that job in a mentor type capacity. And they said, well, we hadn't really thought of that. So they did it, they worked it out. And now she's doing much better. So, um, you know, clear purpose and expectations and goals that you both agree on. Uh, I would say quarterly performance evaluations to make sure that once again, we're not straying off that that trail of, of what they originally came to work for. Um, everyone wants to feel important. So, you know, give them a responsibility that really matters to your company where they feel valued and that their input is, is heard and, and listened to, and it's making a difference. So some of this is the same type of advice you'd find in marriage counseling, for example, you know, or relationship account um, advice. So that's what I would say is, you know, be open and honest and kind and empathetic and have these tough conversations and get on the same page. Wow. I mean, communication so inexpensive, so critical, and so hard to do sometimes. It uh, is. It is. <laughs> that, is a, that is a great point. Well, Marilyn McSweeney, thank you so much for being with us on this episode. You are on the front lines 
of culture building from the candidate side and uh, just your insights have been great. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's an absolute honor to be asked and uh, hopefully there's something here that will help someone. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day.